Hello, reader. Welcome to 20 Questions with Your Favorite Author, where we ask authors important questions like, why would you agree to be on this podcast? I'm Kelly Lane Colby, Editorial Director at Cursed Dragonship Publishing. Our guest this week is Rick Partlow, author of Military Sci-Fi and Outdoor Adventurer. Rick's lifelong love of science fiction began with Have Spacesuit, Will Travel, and the other Heinlein Jewels. He has written over 40 books in a dozen different series, and his short stories have been included in 12 different anthologies. If he's not your favorite now, he will be after. Good evening, Rick. Good evening. Good evening. Did you hear me stumble over Heinlein? Yes, I did. Right? I wasn't say anything, though. Because <laughs> it's, Heinlein, it's Heinlein forever when we were growing up, right? Until we figured mm-hmm. out how it was supposed to be pronounced or isn't. Or I don't even know what's correct. Do you know which way is correct? I believe it's Heinlein. I mean, if it was like German and he was in Germany speaking German, it'd be Heinlein. But I don't, you know, once you become American, it doesn't always work that way. <laughs> Did he? I mean, he, he traveled to Russia, so I'm sure he went to Germany at some point and had to pronounce it that way. That's true. And then that's it. It's like that from now on, right? Exactly. Excellent. Excellent. So you have a love of classic sci-fi. I, it's what got me on, into reading, really. And what I, was uh, about? Sorry, go ahead. What was it about those early novels that sparked your creativity? Uh, well, I was born in the mid-60s, and that's the height of the space race. So one of my first memories is watching, you know, the moon landing on a rented black and white TV my parents got from the 7-Eleven. <laughs> so the, awesome. the whole idea of, uh, you know, this leading to something like have spacesuit will travel or mm-hmm. starship gal or spaceship Galileo or, you know, space cadet that, that appealed to me as a, you know, nine, 10, 11 year old. And, uh, I guess, I guess I sort of fell out of love for a little while with science fiction after I read through all the books that had been written in the fifties and early sixties and got to the kind of nihilistic, depressed, dark, apocalyptic science fiction of the 70s. Right. It definitely changed tone, no doubt. And uh, I didn't really get back into it until um, cyberpunk, you know, uh, Neuromancer, William Gibson, that sort mm-hmm. of thing. That, that drew me back into science fiction, which is why I think a lot of my earlier books are kind of a blending of, of Heinlein, you know, you know, silver spaceships and uh, cyberpunk. It's an odd blending, but it, it appealed to me. Makes sense to me. Yeah, I think I switched, just like you said, when it all got depressing, I switched to fantasy. Me too. So, me too, mm-hmm. exactly. Yep, I think a lot of us did in the 80s. We were more, more, more of us were reading fantasy in the 80s. Dragon um, Edge Chronicles. Yes, yes. That was my first full fantasy novel besides Lord of the Rings, which somehow is very different, right? So it's different. <laughs> So, um, Kevin Petway, he's got a good question. Do your favorite old guard writers still hold up today? Like, his are kind of mixed. Some do. Uh, Heinlein definitely does. I mean, he he wrote in a forever 1950s kind of society. Mm-hmm. But the people, you know, the character still holds true. The, the, they're still characters that I want to know better. You know? Like Rod, uh, Rod from Tunnel in the Sky or you know, Kip from Have Space It Will Travel. Mm-hmm. Nope, I feel that. Yeah, I've had the same thing because you can't, 
I can't read it with their eyes, right? I read it with my more modern eyes. So I definitely see things differently than I did when I was 10 reading this stuff. So, and it depends on the novel. Depends on the novel. Um, the I was watching the uh, original Star Trek, which was, I mean, that was my life. It made me happy and made me addicted to television. What can I say? So I'm watching it again because I have Paramount Plus now. And I'm like, oh, what else do they have? Right? You always buy it for that one show. And then you're like, what else do they have? I'm like, oh, they have the original series. And I couldn't believe watching the first episode where Christopher, uh, you know, Christopher Pike is freaking out about his ensign on the bridge because it's a female ensign. And and he's like, I'm just not used to having girls on the bridge. I'm like, oh my God, are you kidding me? Did he have to just say that? Well, just, even though it's supposed to be in the 23rd century, it's still filmed in 1960s. It was very much 1960s. Exactly. I just could not. I'm like, oh, no wonder I have these things in my brain I can't always get rid of because, you know, I was raised on it. There's lots of good things. Don't get me wrong. Well, Highland was very... Mail if you want, but you shouldn't. But it is definitely dated. You can't do Highland was very, was very um, ahead of his time with women and in, in females in his fiction. Even his juveniles had uh, some very strong female characters. That's true. That's true. And that's the thing. We're talking about stuff that was ahead of its time. <laughs> the time itself was still farther behind than that. At least there was a woman on the bridge. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, at least so. Star Trek had minorities on their bridge. Nice. Even though, I mean, none of them were in command position. They still, you know, they were there. But they were represent. at least there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We're getting somewhere. Um, let's see. Did you ever get to meet any of your author idols? Uh, no, not really. I mean, I've, I've met David Weber now, but that was like just recently when I was just a fan and not a writer. I never met any of them. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, you're in this world now. I mean, you should make a list and just start checking them off. I mean, you know, the ones that are lot, still here. A lot, yeah. a lot of them are not around anymore. Unfortunately. Yeah. Not the ones from the sixties. That's very true. I mean, Isaac Asimov and, uh, Arthur C. Clarke. Mm-hmm. Yep bunch of them so have you ever gotten any advice that's really helped you oh not personal advice but advice i read that was given by other science fiction authors in general you know i read it not to me but just to everybody uh Mm -hmm. heinlein you know his rules of of writing you know if you're going to be a writer you have to write that's the best piece of advice I ever got because I was in a spot at one point where I wasn't writing. I was depressed and didn't think, you know, I would ever make anything of this and basically stopped writing. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that, that advice helped me to just do it. Push through it. Yeah. Push through it. And 40 books later, 48, Eight, 49, 40, 49, sorry. There's one, that's not, there's one that's not published yet. <laughs> that advice worked. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, did you begin as a professional writer or were there side roads to this end goal? Oh, no, no. Uh, <laughs> there, wasn't, there wasn't side roads. This is like a, a map of blood vessels or neurons. <laughs> uh, there are lots uh, of branches, lots of branches. Yeah. I started off in the army and the first book I ever wrote for publication started off being in, started off in my junior year in college. Um, and I was writing it while I was in the army 
And then I was at the bachelor officer's quarters at Fort Benning, Georgia, and I came home for Christmas thinking I was going to get the same room that I was in, but I did not. But I left, <laughs> I left this 275 handwritten college ruled single spaced uh, three ring binder in the, the uh, drawer of the nightstand in my BOQ room and a maid threw it away. <gasps> so oh. it was just as well because it would have had to been rewritten completely anyway because I, I made certain assumptions, this being like 89 and 90, about the end of the Cold War that turned out not to be the case. And uh, so I, I once I uh, got out of the Army and got serious about trying to become a published author, I, I rewrote the whole book. And I also took the best parts of another book that I uh, had been working on in the meantime and wrote that one as well. And I got an agent, and uh, which I thought at the time would be the hardest part. Um, but I mean, I had an agent, I got four different editors, you know, just ripping everything to shreds and teaching me everything I needed to know about, uh, about how to write a tight, you know, mm -hmm, and uh, mm -hmm. concise book. And a couple of years, they, they tried to sell the, both those books and couldn't do it. And that's the point where I got, we, we just let things die. And I got really down on writing and had a lot of different jobs. And, and uh, we had a couple of kids mm -hmm. and uh, eventually a friend of mine started talking about uh, Amazon, you know, and Kindle publishing. Mm -hmm. So I didn't want to do that because to me, self-publishing equaled vanity publishing, you know, and vanity publishing was what losers did who couldn't get published. And I would, right. I was thinking, I'd rather, go through that at first. Uh -huh. I would, yep. I'd rather not, uh, I'd rather, you know, nobody know that I was a failure than advertise <laughs> it to everyone. But finally <laughs> he was telling me that there's people making hundreds of thousands of dollars on Amazon, mm -hmm. you know, just give it a shot. So I put, not knowing anything, cause this is 2011, and there was Ooh, you got it barely, early, nicely done. Yeah. He started talking, he started talking my year off in 2010. <laughs> so <laughs> he, he kept the head of the curve. So thanks, Tim. Um, <laughs> 2011, went, Tim. That was the good advice you got. Yeah. 2010, I mean, 2011, I slapped these books on Amazon with homemade covers that weren't even the shape of a book cover. They were like little squares. Uh, of images that I got off of the internet free. How funny. Um, put them at 99 cents because that was the cheapest you could put them. Couldn't make mm -hmm. them free or I would have. Mm -hmm. And the first few months I sold like 30,000 copies of both of them. Wow. So at that point I'm like, hey, maybe people want to read this. So I, mm -hmm. that's when I started getting serious about it. Um, and eventually I... I've been published with a couple of like three different uh, small publishers still don't have like a tr major trap publishing contract, but uh, learn to live without it at this point. You don't necessarily <laughs> need it. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I, I just want you to know the, that the uh, chat is having like a heart attacks over the big missing work. Like it, it's happens oh, to all of us. And as you get older and, and you're writing more, you realize it's not a huge deal. You just recreate it. But that first time, I mean, it hurts. Uh, I was I was gutted. Yeah, but same. Thank, 
Thankfully, I had at the time, I do not have this anymore, unfortunately, mm -hmm. I had a nearly eidetic memory. Oh. So I, I remembered most of what I wrote. That's convenient. I, yeah, I, I don't have that anymore. I lost it somewhere in my late 30s, early 40s. Somewhere with having children, so now you have other exactly. things on your brain. Yeah, I think yeah. that's where my brain started to die too. I mean, um, I, I mean, I, I think it, uh, I think it just began to fill up, and I didn't have room anymore. That's right, exactly. I have other things in here now. Yeah, Zafa wants to know if you had the uh, if you felt the need to have a maid accidentally tossed out an airlock in the rewrite. <laughs> no, had I met the maid, I might have turned into a character, but. No, I, I, I never knew who it was. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, yeah, Og says he, he has the opposite of that type of memory. It's very, very different. <laughs> yeah, and there's other... Icy Hot says that, uh, that they're putting all of their um, free time into writing. So that's definitely part of the thing. Like, So when you were working full-time in writing, how did you squeeze writing in? I didn't write that much. <laughs> I, honest, uh, honest answer. I love it. I also was a, a full-on pantser, discovery writer, whatever mm -hmm. you want to call it. Mm -hmm. uh, writing into the dark, someone calls it. I think that's a little pretentious. Yep. But, but basically, <laughs> basically, I just stared at the computer screen until something mm -hmm. came to me. Uh, so it took me... Well, I, I won't count the first two books because those, you know, the first book always takes a long time. But mm -hmm. after I decided to get serious about it, my my third book mm -hmm. uh, took me 14 months to write. Of course, it was huge. It was 190,000 words. Oh, wow. Um, and then the second book took a year, also 180 some thousand words. And then a year for the next one. It took me a year each, basically, for my first six books. Uh, mm -hmm. Well, I mean, not counting the first two, my first four, until I, until I realized that I could write much faster if I started outlining, plotting, knowing what I was going to write. So makes a big difference. Yeah. But, but yeah, I, I took, it took me also a year because I was just sitting there and not, you know, not, uh, not doing a lot of work, even when I did have the time. You were doing more of the planning phases at that point. Yeah, I was planning as I stared at the screen. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> I know. That's what they say. No, I totally don't plan. I just wing it. And I'm like, well, you're planning. You just plan at the moment, in the moment, yeah. right now. <laughs> yep. And you'll pay for it later in the revision. Just but, plan, you know. planning, planning inefficiently. Correct. Now, mind you, if you can write 10,000 words a day, who cares? Do it however you want. It's true. But when you're a slow writer like I am, you need a plan. Otherwise, you're never going to get anything written. <laughs> and honestly, I don't do... This is, this is going to sound weird to some people, although maybe the people don't like my work, believe it, but I don't do revisions. Oh, wow. I don't nice. do, I do one draft mm -hmm. and I get corrections and I fix those and that's it. Because I, I mean, I know people who will sit down and just, you know, they'll turn off their inner filter, their inner editor and just, just get write the story it. out there. Mm -hmm. My brain doesn't work that way. I can't do it. Um, Mm. So I, you revise as you go. It's not that you don't I revise. revise. You yeah, just don't I, take I, it. I, write, yeah, I, I'm saying my first draft is revised as I write it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, different. Just different workload. That's what or I've always if said. Want, the, if you want to put it this way, mm -hmm. my my outline is my first draft in some ways. Yeah. Absolutely, that's a good point. 
That's I don't I don't put scenes like some people say, oh, what scenes did you cut? Or no, I, I do that in the outline. I I don't have any scenes that I get rid of because I know when I do the outline, if it's not going to fit. If it doesn't work, that's awesome. Well, it makes sense. Well, you know, like David Weber, he's famous for having ridiculously long outlines. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, it makes sense that it does make sense. That's more like a first draft. Didn't I read that he had like a 40,000 page, 40,000 word outline once? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's impressive with his outlines. So I don't feel very bad when I have my fifteen thousand dollar or fifteen. I wish not fifteen thousand. Uh, fifteen thousand word <laughs> outline. Same same kind of. I'm like, look, man, I'm nowhere near forty. I'm good. I'm good. It's fine. I think the longest one I ever had was twelve thousand. Oh, well, you write like really long books too, right? So it's pretty uh, typical not, for military not, sci-fi. Not really long. Um, mm -hmm. Well, it depends on what you think it was really long. I mean, it's true. Uh, it's if compared to urban fantasy, it's long compared to David Weber. It's short. Um, <laughs> mine hover around the 85 to a hundred thousand word range. Oh, that's a good, no, that's a good range. It's, it's very edible. I call that. That's very edible. <laughs> mm -hmm. I like those books because it's nice, especially because you have, you know, long series that are out. It's easy to like pick it up and just, you know, go through it that well, way. Also, a I lot like of it. my books are from first person and it's really, really mm. difficult to write over a hundred thousand words in first person. Right. It it's hard to done, pull other people's character. Yeah. Other people's yeah. point of view in. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Interesting. So which book gave you the most trouble or which series? Oh, the most trouble. Mm -hmm. Um, as far as the actual writing of it, um, don't, uh, don't tell my publisher, but, uh, my Holy <laughs> Wars, my Holy War series, which I just ended, Oh. actually gave me the most trouble. And oh. the reason is most of the military science fiction I write is from the point of view of the grunt on the ground, you mm. know, Marine or whatever. Holy mm. War was the first, well, not the first, but the first one I really went in depth into fleet battles between starships, you know, and fighters. And mm -hmm. it's just not what I'm used to. And it took me, a, it took me, it, it didn't take me a long time to do it, but it took a lot of, brow beating just like because it comes down to it spaceships shooting at each other how do you make that sound interesting the 12th time you have to do it it's <laughs> absolutely true like in the movies they can cheat because you have all the visual and the music right so in the books that's a really good point we have to use came, different tools it came down to i mean you're doing third person pov close mm -hmm. um you have to give the experiences of the person and stop describing the externals of the battle as much as what the person is feeling. It's the only way I could make it different. Right. And to make the reader actually feel it. So that mm -hmm. was smart. You need to get right in there. But it took a lot. It took a lot of mental effort to get that done. Nice. Well, when you are not writing, what do you do to fill that creative cup? I do a lot of uh, wildlife photography. Ooh. Um, so I actually moved to Wyoming from Florida because I wanted to be closer to the wildlife I wanted to photograph. Really? That's awesome. I was going to ask you, there must be very, very different wildlife from between Florida and Wyoming. Yeah, I, but I, I was going there anyway. I, I would come mm -hmm. out to uh, Wyoming and Montana mm -hmm. two or three times a year mm -hmm. and got to the point where I like, I, I work from home. I don't have to live, you know, any particular city. Mm -hmm. Let me just see where I can live that's out there. 
So here I am. And my, my youngest uh, graduated high school. She's a freshman in college right now. So when she comes home for the summer, it's going to be to a different state. <laughs> That's fun, but it's a new adventure. Have you actually been able to get out yet and take any pictures? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've, uh, I live about an hour and a half from Yellowstone. Ooh. And the entrance, I'm, I'm an hour and a half from the east entrance of Yellowstone, which is towards Cody, Wyoming. Okay. It's, been clo- it's been closed for like three weeks now. But if you go out that direction, just before the entrance, there's a lot of uh, bighorn sheep. Mm-hmm. They're in the rut, you know, and they're, mm-hmm. so I've been doing, I've been going out there a lot. And there's all kinds of, you know, hawks and eagles and stuff around here, so. Got to go out there and get some of those big, you know, bison. You know, there's, I've, I've got so many pictures of bison. Oh, do you? You're like, I'm good. I'm bisoned out. But the only way, the only reason, only way I'd be interested in bison pictures now is if it's like in a really cool setting, like there's a mountain, a snowy mountain in the background or, you know, steam coming off of a, a thermal feature, something like that. Oh, it's so pretty. The uh, <laughs> Florida Kevin says in Florida, the bigger problem is wildlife that sneaks up on you. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I've got plenty of pictures of gators. I lived in a town with lots of gators. Mm. Yeah, that was I was born in Charleston, South Carolina. And that was the rule there. So I'm sure it's the same in Florida where every bit of water has an alligator in it. Exactly. Pretty much, pretty much in Lakeland where I, I'm from, uh, mm-hmm. any body of water bigger than the condensation puddle under a car's air conditioner has an alligator in it. Yeah. Yep. That was the rule there too. I kind of liked it. And we're in Houston, but we're in the North side of Houston. So it's like, there's some kind of invisible line through the middle of Houston where anything North, there's no gators and anything South they're everywhere. So it's it's kind of funny. Yeah. I don't know if it's a, I didn't even know there was, there was uh, gators in the Houston area at all. I thought they'd probably all be by the, by the Louisiana line. No, we like go to Brazos Bend and it's uh, West southwest of houston um but like it's within i I won't say it's within city limits but close enough Um, this is this is what i use to take pictures of those animals Ooh, (laughs) alligator segregation that's it kevin that's what it is uh and oh look at that she's a beauty no no put it back you got to get everyone to see that better okay even have a camouflage that's cool does that really I work? Will, Animals have no idea there's a human there because you have camouflage on it? I don't have any. I just put that there so it won't scratch the lens when I hit oh. it against things. <laughs> I, I, once had, I once had illusions I could make a living at wildlife photography, but uh, it's you, you wind up spending so much more money in it than you ever get out of it, even if you do sell anything. It's like if you don't you know, nail a gig with National Geographic, forget it. Or actually most of the people I know who – try to be professional wildlife photographers are now giving wildlife tours or mm-hmm. lessons to other people and that's how they make their money. That makes sense to me. Basically, There's always something else. Basically you have the choice between photography as a hobby or heroin addiction. I'd pick heroin addiction because it's a lot cheaper. <laughs> oh, it might seem that way. That's <laughs> a long-term cost. That'll get you. Um, Let's see. Sm- <laughs> Smashy I says. I moved to Wyoming. Um, that's a long-term cost. <laughs> yeah, that's 
<laughs> Actually, that's very true. Um, Smashy says that that looks really heavy. I was thinking, I mean, do you have to like work out before you go out? Like, do you have to like really Actually, get those muscles? It, you know, it used to be about 10 years ago that the lenses like that were incredibly heavy. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was really hard to handhold them. You had to learn all these techniques and mm -hmm. uh, every, you had to carry a, a tripod everywhere. But now they're making mm -hmm. them so much lighter with new materials, um, mm -hmm. so much lighter and so much more expensive. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't seem fair, does it? doesn't seem fair. No, no. Hey, at least but you have to carry a, around all the film. I couldn't this imagine is actually, that. This is actually really light. I mean, it's, it's you know, it's, it's for the size, it's very light. Impressive. Impressive. Zafo says, my, what a big lens you have. <laughs> better to see you with, my dear. <laughs> Literally, look, it's not even funny. It's true. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. So um, have you used any of your outdoor experiences in your novels? Like did I something have. happen and you were like, dude, I have to use that. I, well, I, ha I have used um, my love of the outdoors and my experience with it in several novels. One of them, um, the Recon series, uh, which is about, starts out as a Marine who is, stranded behind enemy lines on this occupied planet mm -hmm. and winds up leading resistance. But then in later books, he, he becomes like a uh, military contractor. I, well, I don't want to say a mercenary because he's not really up for hire. He's working for mm. particular people. Gotcha. Like, but uh, he lives on this world that's um, full, filled with what they call revenants, which is uh, animals which were extinct and they use DNA to recreate them. Ooh, like mammoths. They're going to do it. I just know they are. Mammoths, saber tooths, you know, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Not not dinosaurs because dinosaur DNA is too degraded. We don't have any DNA. That's right. Yeah. But we have we have DNA from mammoths and saber tooth and things like that. And it could easily be recreated if you had the money. So that's mm -hmm. the key. Um, mm -hmm. yep. But, you know, so that's a, a planet full of those things. So mm -hmm. he, and his, his wife in later novels works for their, basically their wildlife service, you know, monitoring these animals. So I have like wolves hunting elk and things like that, you know, just, and uh, use, use those as metaphors for what happens in the book. Ooh, clever. That sounds fun. It's nice to take the things you've actually done. It makes it easier to write it. You're like, I know what that smelled like and what it felt like. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, do you, have you had, um, is there anywhere you haven't explored that you'd like to hit up next? Um, well, I've always wanted to go to Northern Europe, uh, like Finland in particular has, uh, wildlife that you wouldn't expect to be in more. It's got, uh, huge, huge brown bears, uh, wolves, wolverines. You, you're more likely to be able to take a picture of a wolverine in Finland than anywhere else in the world. Wow. So I'd like to go there someday. Hmm. That sounds like Alaska to me. Alaska has all that stuff, but it's Alaska is the size of Alaska. <laughs> and there's very, very few, there's very few roads here. Finland has uh, basically they have these little camps where mm -hmm. you pay to go and and this sounds like cheating, but you're across <laughs> across this water, you're across this water like ponds, and the other mm -hmm. side they bait the animal, they put you know, like dead deer or something. Mm -hmm. And the bears come in and eat it, or the wolverines come in and eat it, nice. which is that's all highly illegal in Alaska or any place like that. 
Well, I mean, if you're not going to shoot it, I think that's cool. You're shooting it with yeah. the, well, you are, but with the camera, you know, then I think the that's reason awesome. they, The reason they outlaw it in Alaska and, and also everywhere else in the States is because they don't want the animals to associate humans with eating. Uh, so so maybe because they do this on the island in Finland, it's not so bad. Or they're just, you know, they're in Northern Europe and they don't care. <laughs> and yet they don't seem to have a problem. So maybe we're freaking out over nothing. It's I mean, awesome. that wouldn't be us at all, would it? No, no. That's not totally within our um, modus operandi at all. Um, they're all talking about cameras. They're all excited. You've got a whole photography fan group over here in chat. Mm -hmm. Well, I just switched to mirrorless. I got Sony mirrorless now. So. Yeah, Zapo said he wanted to mirrorless too. I was a Canon guy for a long time. and then. Mm. Yep. No, we had some really nice Nikons, but I always took pictures of the kids. Like, that's mostly what I did. Like, I was scrapbooking and I was tired of crappy pictures. That's why I bought a fancy camera. It had nothing to do with anything else. And as they got older, I was like, ah, I'm good. Nowadays, I, I don't even take, uh, you know, people's shots with the, my camera. I just use this. <laughs> well, right? Yeah, exactly. You've got the phone. What do we need the camera for? It works fine. It works fine. Unless I'm, you're a professional photographer, you know, you, you don't need it anymore. Yeah. Um. Let's see. As writers, we don't just produce things, right? Like we tend to consume content as well. Like we talked about Star Trek earlier and all the books we read and all those things. Have you watched anything lately that you've really gotten into? Well, The Expanse. I love The Expanse. Oh, yeah. Best, best science fiction TV I've ever seen. Mm, I've got um, to watch it. It's on my list. Um, I mean, once upon a time, I would have said Babylon 5 was, but... Babylon 5 special effects and CGI just does not hold up to modern, you know, mm -hmm. modern effects. I mean, it was on a shoestring budget even for the day. <laughs> right. You know, they're, they're going to redo that, though. They're like bringing I it back. That, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I <laughs> know, oh, I'm excited because for the same reason. Because also, like, the first three seasons were awesome, and then it kind of went off the rails. So the first, it would be kind of cool the if they four, fixed the off-the-rails part. I think seasons two, three, and four were awesome. Season one, they were just getting their footing. And then right. season five wasn't ever meant to happen. And uh, it shows. Oh, I thought he planned five seasons from the very beginning. No, well, he planned five. And then they told him he was only going to get four. So he wrapped it up in four seasons. And then oh. they said, oh, we got five seasons. And he's like, I already wrapped up my story arc. Oh, I didn't know that. That totally explains it then. <laughs> so he had to create the Psy War. and Yes. Okay. I get it now. I was like, I swear he played five. I joined the military in the middle of that. So I never got to watch the whole thing until later when it came back and we could get it on streaming services. Right. So like I missed the middle. I was like, but how did it end? Uh -huh. So, yeah, no. And then, so when I watched it all the way through, I was so excited to finally get to watch it. I was like, really? What was that? <laughs> but, uh, as happen. far as, as far as movies go, Dune, mm -hmm. Dune was just incredible. Mm -hmm. Oh, I've seen it twice now. Oh, um, wow. I saw it my, myself with, with, and, um, with my wife. Mm -hmm. no, yeah, with my wife and a bunch of friends. And mm -hmm. I really, really liked it. Mm -hmm. But then I saw it again over Thanksgiving with my son. And I was like, wow. It's, it's even, I thought maybe watching it again, I would get impatient. Because like mm -hmm. every Denny Villeneuve movie, it's really slow paced. Yes. But it was, it was, just, it was just as good the second time around. I, Denny Villeneuve is one of my favorite directors. I mean, he just says... The cinematography in his movies is incredible. Mm -hmm. in Blade, Blade Runner 2049 was a glacially paced movie. 
but the cinematography, the visuals, it was just, it was like watching a work of art for two hours. And they, he gets really great performances out of his actors. So yeah, really that's, impressed with him. that's the big thing for me. I think it was um, beautiful, but boring. <laughs> like, can you go Which faster? One? Dune. Oh, but I, I don't know. And I, I uh, love, I mean, they didn't even make it to halfway through the book. I thought they were at least going to make it to halfway. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, does that mean I'm not going to watch anymore? Oh heck yeah, I'm going to watch all of them. I, I thought I thought the story. same thing the first time I saw it. I'm like, I don't like where you ended it. No, but then it I makes started, no sense. But then I started thinking about it, and it's like, well, do you really want to go into the first part of a whole mm -hmm. new section of it and then end abruptly after that? I don't know. It doesn't feel like a new section after this, though. Mm. No, it, it, it would have. Um, I'm not sure there was another big climax part, though. But, I mean, come on. They do movies. They can make one. So, it just, I don't know. That was just me. Now, am I going to keep watching well, I it? Yes, the, I am. I love did I enjoy watching it the first too. time? Yes, I did. Uh, was it my favorite movie? No. I love the performances in that movie, too. That I agree with it. Uh, Timothee Chalamet is amazing in anything he does. And he Oscar is a perfect Isaac. Oscar Isaacs is great, too. I adore him. Um, but I think he plays himself all the time, which is great, by the way. I adore him. But Paul, I could not imagine a better casting of Paul. He's perfect. So, but no. I, I was ready not to like him because I really don't like Timothy Chalamet that much. But oh, he, really, he was really good in this movie. That boy can act. That boy can act. Um, now, they, they made a lot of choices, too, that I appreciated. Like, there was times in the movie where I thought they would have him act a certain way just mm -hmm. because that's a stereotypical way that a, a, you know, an adolescent would act in movies mm -hmm. and they don't. And he acts like more mature than that. And I appreciated the fact that they did that instead of going with the, the easy route, the, the tropey route that you see in every movie. Well, Paul is not typical in any way, shape or form. Oh no, not in the book, but you know, this is the movie and they'll, they'll they can, Change things. That's true. They didn't. That's true. But yeah, they didn't. They kept his character. Og agrees with you. He thinks it was a good stopping point. So. Yep. And apparently they're all looking forward to Moon Knight. Maybe. I, 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 I don't know what that is. It's a comic book uh, TV show. It's going to be on Disney Plus. Oh, cool. Moon, Moon Knight is an incredibly interesting character. He's a. He's like a Batman type character. Mm -hmm. Except. The run they're going with and the most interesting version of him, mm -hmm. he, he either has a disassociative identity disorder <laughs> or he is the tool of a Egyptian god. And we don't know which. He's either, he's either crazy or he's working with an Egyptian god. Interesting. So. That actually sounds one of your, like one of your characters, uh, Florida Kevin. That's kind of cool. How does not? How does Kelly not know about this? I'm sorry, Kelly works a lot now. Okay, a lot, a lot, like a lot. And a Os lot. Oscar Isaac's is playing the char main character in, in Moon Knight. Now that's why I don't know about that. You would think my obsession with him would would make me know about that. <laughs> <sighs> but um, wow, we're having we're we're getting there, man. We're at at twenty till. I think we might have to do our lightning round. Are you ready for our lightning round? I'm ready. All right. <laughs> If oh no wait oh, I'm gonna ask one more question so you don't you don't have to be quick on this one if you could turn one of your series into a movie franchise which one would it be? Oh, 
I know you have to choose one of your babies. You have a lot out. Sometimes this is easy for people to answer. I think it would probably have to be Drop Trooper because it would be it would be visually the most interesting. Why? Because it's, it's about these battle suits, you know, uh, Starship Trooper style battle suits, mm-hmm. you know, coming down in, from orbit and in this huge interstellar war. And uh, the main character is a uh, an orphan from post-apocalyptic Mexico who, when his family's killed, he has to, at like six or seven years old, he has to wander through the desert to, to the new Trans Angeles, which is like a huge mega city. And, and he lives on the street and becomes like a con artist and, and then accidentally is involved in the accidental death of a drug cartels hitman who's coming Oops. after him and he's arrested for a felony murder and has the choice of going in the Marines or being sent to punitive hibernation. So I think it's got all the things that a, you know, movie franchise would, you would know, appreciate. Work. Yeah. I like that though. That must've been the worst assassin ever. Well, he, he's, he was really, the kid was really smart. You know, he lived on the streets his whole life. That's awesome. So what is your favorite flavor of ice cream? It's our favorite question. Depends on who makes it. Uh, what? My, my favorite flavor of ice cream that I buy at the store and take home mm-hmm. is, is Bluebell Cookie Two-Step. Wait, can you get Bluebell in Wyoming? No. You, you might have to give that problem. up. <gasps> I, I can't. Oh, the um, sacrifices you made I to know. take pictures of wolves. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But uh, the favorite I buy it, I like buy at an ice cream parlor might be different because there's all kinds of different local, you know, flavors that they have, like Reese's peanut butter cup ice cream. Ooh, that sounds which, delicious. Which is always better when you buy it in an ice cream parlor. You buy it on the in the gallon. It's never that good. No, it's true, right? It's almost stale, which is mm-hmm. weird for ice cream. That's a good point. Oh, Smashy wants to know, pickle chips or jalapeno poppers? I don't like either one. What? Oh. Sorry. Oh, no. Failed I'm not a big chip fried person. food category. I'm not a big chip person. Well, this is fried food. I mean, that's different. No, fried, fried food. Mm. I, my, my stomach can't handle jalapenos. Mm, that's fair. It's fair. I had to learn to adjust. I mean, I live in Texas now. It's required mm-hmm. by Texas law. Yeah. At least that's what my husband told me. I mean, he wouldn't lie to me, would he? No, husbands never lie to their wives. No, right? Never. never. <laughs> <laughs> Such a smart man. You're obviously happily married. <laughs> 29 years. Oh, oh, no. Oh, no. Og wants to know this zombie climbing question. Since you just listened to the Jonathan May, uh, Mayberry 20 questions, it's going to be interesting to see what you say. So, Og and Smashy apparently wants to know, do you think zombies can climb? Who's zombies? So many different zombies. Are you talking Romero zombies or, <laughs> you know, 28 Days Later zombies or World War Z zombies? Walking Dead zombies? I, I can't answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> My it's too complicated. Zombie. Too complicated. My favorite, my favorite zombies are from a series of novels called. Uh, they start with X Heroes. Patrick Kleins, I think it's was it Peter Kleins? I can't remember. Mm. Peter Kleins, I think. 
Okay. Put ex ex heroes, expatriates, ex I ex communication and ex isle like I S L E. Um, but it's a great it's a it's a set of books in which a zombie apocalypse happens in a world where superheroes are real. Interesting. I haven't seen that combination before. I know. See, I I got so burned out on zombies by the mm -hmm. time about this third season of The Walking Dead, I stopped watching or reading anything about them. But this yep, that's about when I stopped. Book, too. These books were really really good. So if you want to give them a shot, they're really good. I have Peter to Klein, C L C L I N E S. Gotcha. The chat has decided. You said zombies can climb, no matter what it is you actually said. Okay. Because the chat does that. I see how it wants to know, did you ever keep a journal with you for any random new ideas? Uh, I didn't write, I didn't like keep a journal that I like write about my day in, but I, mm -hmm. I used to have multiple uh, five subject college ruled uh, spiral notebooks mm -hmm. that I would keep with me and write down ideas. Yeah. So that's a yes, I see how it helps, especially when you're starting. After that, you can't keep track. You just start too busy writing. Well, now I have the Samsung notes on my phone. I, I write down any ideas I get in there. There you go. Welcome but to the modern world. I'm very much a 21st century style writer. <laughs> I like that. Use what tools we have, right? Let's see. So what's the first thing you do when you get up in the morning? Brush my teeth. Perfect. What's your least favorite chore around the house? Uh, picking up the dog poop. Fair. What is your favorite holiday dish? Ham. And I think that's it. Coffee or tea? Neither one. Neither one. You had I a lot of neither ones. I like I it. Drink, I drink Diet Coke for my caffeine intake. Sounds fair. Sounds fair. Can you get Diet Coke or only Diet Pepsi up there? If you go to the store, you can buy Diet Coke. If you go to restaurants, they all have Diet Pepsi, which is I find disgusting. Uh, yep, I did too. When we moved from Charleston to Chicago, was, everything was Pepsi. We're like, what the heck? What's wrong with you people? Hmm. Awesome. All right. So where can fans find you and your work? You can uh, find me on Amazon under Rick Partlow. I'm the only one. Uh, the only other Rick Partlow who's ever written anything is a B actor and Dolby artist, uh, has been in some movies and TV shows from the 80s and 90s, but he, he doesn't write science fiction. So you, you look for a part low under Amazon, you'll only find me. Um, thanks, Mom and Dad. Uh, <laughs> and on Facebook, you can go to facebook.com backslash duty honor planet, named after my first series, which turned out to be a marketing mistake to do that <laughs> on Facebook, but as it is what it is. It is what it is. Awesome. Awesome. Well, now that Rick is your new favorite author, please make sure to review his work. Also review us wherever you, it is that you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitch or subscribe on YouTube. And we want to thank DH Dunn for being a subscriber on Twitch. You help us keep the lights on and we will see you next week where we have, um, I hope their name is pronounced Shami Stovall, but I will let you know for sure next Tuesday. We'll see you then.